In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Hey, listener, what's up? Jeff Zimfer. Welcome to another edition of the Mortgage Marketing Radio Podcast. I'm thrilled you decided to tune in today. I want to make the most of your time, and I want you to leave here feeling that this was a good use of your time. Time is, of course, our most precious commodity. We can never get it back. And I'm really focused this year on making this show, these episodes, even better than before. Year number six, uh, well over 200 episodes now, and we are mixing it up with different um, types of content. So letting you know that the goal moving forward is to mix up the interviews and the guests. And I basically have figured this out last night. Maybe it was in the shower. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you get those creative thoughts when you're in the shower. But I've been really trying to think for some time is how do I take this podcast to the next level? There's a variety of different ways I want to do it production-wise, which you're not hearing yet, but you will soon hear some changes on the production elements of the podcast. But also another way to take it to the next level is with interviews and guests and things like that. So I've decided uh, moving forward, this is how we're going to mix up the content, at least for the near short term, which is this. Um, out of one episode per week, right? So essentially four episodes in a month. Um, one episode will be a interview with a you know loan officer, right? Somebody successful in the mortgage space. One interview will be with real estate agent or somebody who's succeeding and doing some pretty interesting things in the real estate space. One interview will be with a thought leader, influencer, speaker, author, coach, right? And this could be outside of our industry and very often will be because I think that you often get a lot of great perspective and insights when you're not solely focused in your own industry, but looking outside. And then lastly, one of the interviews uh, or one of the uh, episodes per month will be yours truly, me, um, bringing specific content to you, whether it's what I'm thinking and working on, whether it's, you know, um, news from the streets, a day in the life, a day in the trenches of me out there doing the same things you guys are doing, which is, you know, working with real estate agents, um, building my personal brand, right? All that. So those will be the exist, at least for now, the four different types of episodes you'll hear. And uh, if you want to add your input to that, have any suggestions, hey, you can go over to the Facebook group and jump in the podcast, Mortgage Marketing Radio podcast group over there on Facebook. If you want to join the conversation there, you can also leave me a question at askjeffanything.com. There's links to all this in the show notes. So all you have to do is conveniently tap with your thumb or your finger, and you'll instantly go to any one of these destinations you're hearing my voice described for you right now. And then, of course, lastly is, let's face it, guys, right? The market has shifted and refis are down, and you want more referrals from real estate agents, more purchase business probably than you have in the last couple of years because you've been living high off 
the refis. I know it. And now that percentage of income is, is going to be taken away. Right? But here's the challenge. There's lots of loan officers going after agents, bringing no real value. Therefore, what loan officers need is a system right, to rise above the noise, to not be seen as a number, and to get agent relationships and referrals at scale. Right? So what we do here at Mortgage Marketing Institute is provide uh, a turnkey done-for-you process and platform for, for loan officers to succeed in getting attention, getting conversations, and getting referrals from real estate agents. How do we do that? We provide a turnkey system and platform of educational content in the form of classes. You teach digitally over Zoom and in person. Soup to nuts done for you, whether you've never spoken a word in public before or you're you know, a well-versed, experienced uh, class teacher, trainer, speaker, doesn't matter. I think the challenge that most loan officers have told me is they would be teaching classes to real estate agents if they had the class content done for them because who has the time to create and prepare that? Well, that's where we come in. That's what we've done for you with my agent classes. And what you get is every, you know, we have a library of over 12 turnkey agent classes. We're talking PowerPoints, speaker notes. We're talking train the trainer videos for me, training you, showing you how to actually teach this class. Handouts, social media promotional image, uh, images for you to promote on social media, email campaigns, text campaigns, landing pages for them to make reservations so you can build your database of real estate agents and tap into that source of ongoing purchase money business. You wanna learn more? Real simple, go to mortgagemarketing.pro, check out the short video and you can learn more there. All right, so now to my special guest this week. This is along the lines with me mixing up the content and the guests. And so this week, I have uh, my special guest. His name is Jason Falls. And Jason is a leading digital strategist, author, speaker, and thinker in the digital and social media marketing industry. This guy's done a lot in his career. He's an award-winning and widely read uh, industry pundit. Um, and he's been named a top influencer in social technology and marketing space by Forbes, Entrepreneur, Adver Advertising Age, and others. As a matter of fact, a 2014 Forbes article named Jason one of 10 business leaders and entrepreneurs that you should follow on Twitter. Along with, in that same list, Jason was included to be named amongst Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Tom Peters, and Tony Shea, formerly of Zappos. Jason's the author of three books, Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand, No Bullshit Social Media, and The Rebel's Guide to Email Marketing. And uh, I'm just thrilled to have somebody of Jason's caliber um, come and share his insights into this whole thing about influencer marketing, right? Um, what is What really is an influencer? You might be surprised by his answer. And what's the future of, quote, influencers and having influence right? And how can you perhaps in your business, your local market actually become an influencer? And again, not necessarily in the context that you think it might be. Uh, so we're going to put links in the show notes to all of Jason's stuff, his books, his newsletter, and the guy's just a wealth of knowledge and information. So uh, I definitely encourage you to check those links, follow him, subscribe to his new newsletter, check out the book Winfluence uh, or one of the other two books as well. So without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Jason, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It is an honor and a pleasure, sir. I saw you at Social Media Marketing World. I don't know when that was, 2019 maybe. There's a time distortion post-COVID. <laughs> <You laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I, I wouldn't remember where it was either. I, I, I think back on uh, the events that I've spoken at and I've been fortunate to speak at a lot of them and, you know, you meet a lot of people and see a lot of folks. And so I'm sure we met at somewhere along the line, but where and when I would have no recollection of. <laughs> so I want to make sure we set this up properly. So you've written uh, a couple of books, if I'm correct. Obviously, your most recent one is called Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand. And my audience is mostly mortgage professionals, originators, loan officers, brokers, some real estate agents as well. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you have heard this before. When we think of the concept of influencer, you know what comes to mind for people, right? <laughs> yeah. He so, signed duck lips. That's normally what people think. of. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. So how would you define influencer? What does that mean? Well, you know, most people certainly think of it very commonly as somebody who has a lot of followers on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube. And, and they, you know, are the, the, the misperception I think is that they're very superficial and they're probably not worth investing in if you're a brand and you're trying to, you know, get the word out about stuff because they're, they're the peace sign duck lip set, right? You know, they don't really post, they live, they're living their best life and that's about all they got. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is a very small sliver of the, 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 the marketplace out there for content creators, which is kind of the new term for them because the really good influencers that have real influence over their audiences um, and can persuade them to take action, which is my definition of what an influencer is, is anyone who can persuade an audience to take action. Those, uh, those content creators are people who have worked very, very hard to accumulate an audience um, and do a good job of creating content that engages that audience over time, and they have trust from that audience. So for instance, your podcast by default makes you an influencer because you have built an audience. The people who listen to this show trust you. They listen to you regularly because you bring good guests, good expertise, good perspective, and you help them with their business. So if you were to be approached by a brand, doesn't really matter what brand it is, and said, hey, we'd like to partner with you because we have a message that we think would be relevant for your audience. So how can we collaborate with you to, you know, to communicate that? Now, ideally, in a good influencer marketing, you know, approach from a, a company or a brand, they would come to you and they would collaborate. They would say, well, here's the messages we want to get across. Here's what we want your audience to know. How would you best communicate that? And they would, you know, kind of, there'd be a back and forth there. It's not that the brand wants to just buy an ad and stick it in front of your audience. It's they want, really want to collaborate so that it's much more genuine and, and you're bought in on it because that's where the trust exchange happens. And so, that superficial part of the influencer marketing world is a very small sliver. I would say probably maybe 10, 15% are the fashion, beauty, lifestyle folks who are the peace sign duck lips. The rest of it are, are incredible content creators who have captive audiences and they may be, may be very small audiences or they may be very large, but they can persuade that audience to take action. And those are true influential people, people with influence. And so the kind of theme of the book is let's take the R off of that word and stop thinking about influencer marketing, because that pushes us down a path, a preconceived notion of who we're talking to. And let's try to think about what we're trying to accomplish, which is achieving influence. We want to influence an audience to take action. So let's call it influence marketing and widen the guardrails a little bit. And that sort of opens it up. It doesn't have to be even online. It can be anyone who can persuade an audience. And I've, I've got a, a clever little thing for your audience here in a minute, but I'll stop there and let you, let you ask your next question. 
Well, what's the, what's what's popping in my head, which is you know kind of one of those obvious questions or answers to that question is you know can anybody be an influencer or have influence today? Absolutely. Should they be? Well, uh, should they be is a different question. But any anyone who um, anyone who you know puts themselves out there, uh, who shares content, who posts anything on social media, but also who just gets involved in the community, and this is where I think a lot of your audience. Uh, probably doesn't realize, uh, you know, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, the one thing that this, this audience does more than anything is they network with people. They talk to a lot of people. They know a lot of people in the community. And from a local perspective, your audience is full of influencers. Um, and the reason I say that is because a couple of years ago at Cornette, where I, my day job is I work at an ad agency in, during the day, and uh, we developed an influencer program for um, a hospital healthcare system a couple of years ago, and we really wanted to engage the you know the local online influencers who had the food reviews and things like that because we knew they had really good reach within our target audience. But we also wanted to use people who were influential in the community. So we got the mayor involved, we got the president of the Urban League involved, and as we started to ask around and kind of look and see who really impacts a lot of people. We came up with two primary categories, dentists, doctors, real estate agents, <laughs> right? It's people who in their day-to-day -day job come, come into contact with dozens of people in the community, add that up over a couple of months, and you've got someone who impacts several hundred, if not thousands of people. Right. And so our local influencers are not necessarily people who are on Instagram or TikTok. They're people who are doing their jobs in their day-to-day -day life. Hmm. But obviously, a lot of people don't think of themselves in that light. That's true. That's true. And, you know, when you're looking at the, the term influencer marketing, you know, brands are hiring people who have big followings online. In that context, the, it's hard to think of yourself as an influencer. But again, when you are a local business, you have a geographic, you know, footprint that's small and, and, and cohesive within a community then uh, someone who has 400,000 followers on Instagram doesn't do you any good because less than 1% of their audience is actually going to be in the community, right? You need someone who impacts that community footprint. There's going to be some local bloggers and food reviewers and things like that that have an impact on that community. But the, the influential people, not influencers, but the influential people are going to be the music director at the local Presbyterian church who's involved in, involved in all the local arts things. It's going to be the people who are involved with the boys and girls club. It's going to be the president of the PTA. It's going to be a real estate agent who's really popular in town and in, involved in a lot of the civic community stuff. So you've got to look at influence rather than influencers, particularly if you're working on something for a local business, because the online world, you know, the, the math doesn't work out. They're not going to hit your audience the way they that, that you want them to. All right. So there's a few things flowing through my head right here. I mean, some of the ideas that have been pre presented to agents, for example, and even mortgage brokers is, you know, this concept Gary Vee think made it famous digital mayor. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so what that looks like in the real world is like, hey, go interview local influential people, right, in your community or in, in interview business owners and be the dude featuring the coffee shop and all that. And what's, what I'm thinking about is, I'm curious, A, what you think about those, but then I was also thinking, so you have a choice in terms of if we're going to leverage these social media brands, and let's just face it, or platforms, um, 
if you're a real estate agent, I always tell them you're in a position that requires you to become well-known, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole joke about secret agent, like, like no <laughs> secret agent, they don't survive. Uh, same with a mortgage broker. So it's either you become influential, right? Or mm -hmm. you attach yourself to somebody who is. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. That's pretty much the, 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 the two sides of that coin. Um, the, the whole digital mayor concept of you becoming influential and, you know, interviewing people in town or providing, creating some sort of content that people within your local community are going to thank you for, appreciate you for, that's probably the primary, you know, great idea. That's the personal brand that uh, you give something to the community in the form of your content, your expertise, uh, whatever you can share, whatever you know. And the thank you on the, on the back end of that is that sort of inbound marketing. When they're ready to buy uh, what you sell or need what you do, they're going to come to you because you are the person of trust who has built that trust up over time. I would recommend that to anyone in any position at any time, as long as you're comfortable doing that. Because some people aren't comfortable doing live videos. Some people aren't comfortable doing podcasts. They're not comfortable posting pictures, writing things on Twitter. If you're not comfortable there, then it's not going to be a good place for you. And therefore you flip the coin and say, okay, how can I be of service to those people who are influential in my community? Or how can I do a guest little thing on their live stream or on their podcast just once, not all the time, so that I can get in front of the audience that they've accumulated? And when you look at it that way, you're using an influential third-party person who has an audience to get in front of them, it's really not any different than old school media relations, public relations, right? You know, the tactics that we use to market in this industry, whether it's real estate or mortgage brokers 30 years ago were, well, let's write a guest column for the local business paper, or, you know, let's do something to provide tips to the local TV station once a month and maybe sponsor a segment. Well, do the same thing with the influential people who are creating that highly, highly relevant content locally. And you're going to be in front of those audiences. Uh, any more examples of what that looks like locally in the community? You know, I'm trying to think of examples where the mayor's one easy example to go to, but it's pretty hard to get, you know, time with the mayor. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm thinking like how many local business owners, if you will, you know, are becoming thought leaders, becoming these influential brands. I, I don't, maybe you see more than I do, but I don't see a lot doing it. You know? Well, I think we don't see a lot because we're just not looking in, those, in that direction. Uh, because I think if you look at, if you pick out any random business, especially ones that are kind of the buzz is, is building about them in town and they're starting to, you, you hear their name a lot, go look at their Instagram feed, go look at their TikTok, go look at their Facebook. They're probably doing something to generate that buzz. Um, there's a, a local, um, you know, women's clothing store in Lexington, Kentucky, just down the road. It's actually where Cornette is, is in Lexington. I live in Louisville about an hour away, but uh, there's a local uh, clothing store there for women, and I see their content popping up all the time because a lot of the people I work with and a lot of the people I know in Lexington follow their feed. And so when they like that content, they comment on that content, it's going to pop up in my feed as a natural extension of that algorithm. And so I see that all the time. I don't necessarily follow that women's clothing store online because it's not my thing, right? I'm not a cross-dresser. I don't need that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a top of mind kind of boutique for me if I want to buy something for my girlfriend or my mom or my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So it's those kinds of opportunities. So for 
a real estate agent, uh, it might be a little bit more challenging. Actually, for for the mortgage you know broker community, it's probably going to be a little bit easier. If you can approach someone like that and say, "Hey, why don't we? I bring some financial expertise to your show. Find a, an angle." that makes what you know relevant to their audience. If they're women shopping for clothes, Mm -hmm. so they're shopping, they're spending money, right? Right. There's going to be some angle that you can find to kind of wedge yourself in there and say, what if I came on your show, brought my wife, or if you're a female, if what if I came in to shop and and in that experience, in that exchange, I give your audience some really good financial advice, whether it's refinancing their house or watching the financial markets or whatever it is. If you have a really good relationship with that boutique owner or develop one, that's going to give them better content. It's going to make their show more, you know, more broad, more appealing and make them more of a thought leader because they bring that expertise to their audience. Yeah, that's interesting. One wouldn't think, and maybe this is only my, my limited belief here, but one wouldn't think that uh, women's clothing would want to provide financial <laughs> advice to their followers, you know? Well, I, I guarantee you, if if the uh, women's clothing boutique owner is married to a mortgage broker, that, that's going to happen. So, yeah, <laughs> so now you just got to find, find the ones if you're, if your your wife or your husband doesn't own the women's clothing store, find somebody who does and build a relationship with them and say, Hey, let's help each other out, you know, and maybe there's something for the audience that you're trying to build that a women's clothing boutique owner can bring to you. It's probably not going to be women's clothing. It might be, well, yeah. here's a financial situation that I attacked for my business and here's how it came out. Uh, but if you can kind of work that, you know, tit for tat kind of thing, uh, then you can share content and uh, help each other out. Interesting. And well, and so let's let's transition and talk about, uh, I love that you feature Robert, Robert Cialdini in your book, The mm. Six Principles of Influence. Because um, this is, this is ap- appropriate. We're all trying to influence at some level, right? It mm-hmm. just depends on what version of this that we're talking about. Um, so where do you think, I mean, reciprocity, we already talked about that. And I think conceptually people get that. But all right. Are you pretty well versed on this? I assume because it's in your book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll try to remember it all, but yeah, I think I I think I can hang with you. <laughs> well, so do you want me to run through them? I don't want to put you on the spot, right? Oh, but- I, I I know them: reciprocity, scarcity, uh, authority, consistency, liking, and consensus. Right. He's added a seventh one though. Now he's trying to confuse us because he's got a new version of the book out. Right. And there's, he's changed them up a little bit. I don't have the the seven memorized. He, he altered one or two of them and added another one, but yeah. they're, they're, they're both, they're, they're mostly tied to the consensus authority. They're just variations on the, of the theme. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's define these then we, we know what reciprocity is. And I don't know, did these go in the order of, like I see in your book, reciprocity, scarcity, or does the order matter? Let's just talk. About the order it. doesn't matter for yeah. me really, but you know, we, we know what reciprocity is. It's, yeah. you know, you give to get and vice versa. Which is, which is, by the way, I don't want to gloss over that, but to your point about sharing content and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, that's extremely valuable. Oh yeah. And and if you go back, you know, 15 years when, when social media was basically Twitter mm-hmm. um, and I guess it was MySpace, but that was a little obnoxious. <laughs> um, but back in the early days of Twitter and, you know, 06, 07 around in there, uh, the way that you built social media credibility was you shared good content on Twitter. You found good YouTube videos and shared links. You found blog posts and shared links. I mean, my whole Twitter, I literally wrote down a Twitter strategy and tacked it to my bulletin board back in at Doe Anderson in 2006, I think it was. And it said, Twitter strategy, share good stuff. 
And that, that was my, that was my whole strategy. And I wound up with a hundred thousand followers or whatever, just cause I shared good content. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, that reciprocity is a big one. And that's still true today. Share good content. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you, sharing content has become a little bit more challenging on some of these uh, networks. You, you don't, you, you don't really share content on Instagram the way you would. And you can do it in stories a little bit easier now. And they've added the ability to add links to stories, but uh, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter are just, you can share links all day and it's really good stuff and it helps you build your credibility there. Right. And of course we know, you know, you know, this probably better than I like sharing these links to outside platforms, Facebook in particular, doesn't like that. So they're going to suppress, <laughs> right. Let's keep you in the metaverse, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they like to, they like to keep you on, on platforms. So you kind of have to be smart about it. If you really want to share a YouTube video, you got to try to find the Facebook version of it or whatever, but you know, sometimes it's just, let's just put it out there. And if the algorithm favors me, great, fine. If it doesn't, that's okay. But if you do great content consistently, the algorithm is going to favor you, right? Because you're, you're the people who follow you are going to look for you. If they don't see you in the feed, they're going to come find you. All right. So I told you this is going to be totally organic. So, uh, what about Facebook organic, particularly business pages yeah. dead, dead without paying for it? Oh yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You're, you're, you're lucky. If you have a thousand followers, you're lucky if 10 see your content, if you're not you're putting on your personal some sort page. Of, yeah. 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 That's the game we're playing. All right. Um, scarcity. Let's yeah. that down. What does that mean? Okay. So in the, in the context in, of, of the book, um, what the way that I explained these six, uh, is through an influencer who tried to launch her own clothing line and it failed. Okay. And so I went back and looked at, okay, what did she do uh, or not do mm -hmm. um, that looking at the Cialdini six principles of persuasion, um, what, where did she drop off? Where did she fail? And so the scarcity one was, she just said, okay, my store is open. Here's all my apparel. Go buy it. Oops, sorry. Go buy it. There was never a, uh, the idea of scarcity is, you know what? I'm going to launch this store on Friday, but I'm only selling this one item to the first 100 customers. Mm -hmm. So you need to be the first 100. If you create that air of scarcity, this is going to sell fast. There's only 10 of them, et cetera. Now, all of a sudden, there's a psychological trigger in your audience that says, ooh, I better get there on time. I better be first. I better you know, go do that. Mm -hmm. And so she just opened up, you know, the shop and said, here's a thousand items of everything, go buy them. And nobody had any motivation to want to go buy them because, oh, if I don't go buy them today, it's okay. They'll be there tomorrow. There's plenty of them. Mm -hmm. So creating that air of scarcity motivates your audience to act. Yeah. Cause people want what they can't have. They don't want to miss out all that kind of stuff. Fear of loss. Mm -hmm. yep. Interesting. And I know there's, there's some examples for my listeners where they could use that, where they have limited availability on their calendar, for example. Yep. Um, you know, consultations on an unlimited basis, or I know a lot of my listeners, like they, they teach classes and, you know, maybe you, you, to, to get in this class, you have to achieve a certain level of production. There's lots of different ways to structure that. Sure. All right. But back to your case study. So she was wide open. So she was, there was, it was just like, ah, it's always going to be there, whatever we can yep. do it when we want. Uh, authority. All right. Tell us about that. So authority is, you know, it kind of goes back to that reciprocity when you're building your brand and you're building that sort of, you know, the, the, the mayor, you know, of the internet or the mayor of content for you, the mayor approach. Um, when you do that and you offer up really good expertise in whatever, you know, vertical, whatever topic is your sort of forte, 
you're building authority. You're establishing yourself as a thought leader. You're establishing a level of trust with your audience. If you don't do that, um, like this young lady was in the fashion space and she opened up her own apparel brand, but all of her content really prior to launching was just her in a nice outfit with, you know, chilling out emoji, emoji, emoji as the, the, the content, there was no fashion tips. Here's, here's what I think about the latest styles. There was no sort of academic establishment of why I should trust her for my fashion ideas. It was pretty picture, pretty picture, pretty picture, pretty picture. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to turn your influence or your audience into customers, you have to give them a reason to want to buy from you. This young lady is just throwing up pretty pictures and she's going to keep doing that no matter what. That's what I, what her audience watches her feed for. They don't watch her feed for fashion tips or makeup tips or the newest styles or the reaction to the newest styles. So there's no authority in her. She's, you know, she's a model mm -hmm. and that's the extent of it. If she had shared expertise consistently over time, which consistency is the next one. Right. If she had built that up consistently over time and become an authority in fashion and style and then launched a fashion brand. Now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm going to buy from her because she, I trust her. She's authoritative and she's been that way for a long time. And so those two are checked off authority consistency. I'm going to buy from her. Yeah. A lot of, uh, applicable use cases for, uh, my listeners for sure content. And it makes me think of listing agents or real estate agents who just post listings all the time, new listing, new listing, new listing. It's just pictures of homes, you know, without them taking time to establish, you know, their knowledge and authority around buying and selling real estate, yep. missing out on that. And then of course, consistently showing up. We know that. Okay. So next one's liking. Yeah. Liking is one of those that I always have to remind myself what that is. It's like, well, people like you, they like you. Right. <laughs> um, but it, that's really what it is. It's a, about, you know, do, do, do people, do you do things that make people like you? You know, are you a nice person? Are you, um, you know, someone who, and it kind of, all of these kind of weave together. Are you <clears throat> giving to get, are you providing value? Are you being consistent with that? Um, you know, are, are you someone that is likable? Is there, is there a likability to what you do and how you interact with people? And so if you have that, then that's not the only thing that's going to turn a, a, an audience member into a customer, but it's certainly going to help, um, you know, sort of grease that path for the, the, the audience member to become a customer. You want to do business with people that you like, that you know, that you trust. Right. And that's, you know, one of the, the important parts there. Hmm. We're about to get a visitor here on the, on the podcast. My cat just jumped up on the desk. Oh, so. cool. Well, is the cat <laughs> likable? <laughs> the, the cat is uh, right now. She's, he's not likable because he's messing around with my wires, but if I <laughs> grab him, it's going to make a, you know, a mess. So I just kind of got to let him go. <laughs> as long as he's not chewing through the wires. <laughs> yeah. If he starts chewing on stuff, I may have to, may have to grab him. <laughs> uh, well, that's what we love about these. Um, so last one is consensus. What does that mean? Yeah, consensus is is really that sort of um, you know the the quality of having multiple sources point to you as the, the the place to go, and so it's like you can be as consistent with your content, you can establish authority, um, you know, you can have the reciprocity and the liking. The scarcity is really more of a product centric kind of thing, but consensus is do other people 
tell the audience that you are trustworthy, that you are someone you should be able to buy from because there's not an influencer out there whose audience only comes to that influencer. They go to lots of other people in that vertical, in that space. And those other people need to reinforce the fact that you are a relevant voice in that, in that conversation. And so that's why you see, you know, people like us, we go to marketing conferences and we network and whatnot, because I'm going to, you know, be on, on your show, you're going to be on my show. And so within our two audiences, there's consensus that we are authoritative. And if you do that over the course of dozens of dozens of other people, now all of a sudden you've got a consensus within the marketplace that you're a trusted resource. And of course, consensus is what other people say about you, as you said, and in the online world today, that's reviews online reviews, word of mouth, uh, client testimonials, you know, so many different ways to, to think about this. You know, it's funny in, in talking through this, I've never actually, although I know Cialdini read his book years ago, I've never actually sat here and put the pieces of the puzzle together that if anybody's listening to this right now, that that literally is, I'm looking at your graphic in the book. Uh, and of course we'll link all this up in the show notes. Um, that is the menu for how to grow your influence. Duh. There he is. Here with the cat. P- pesky cat. <laughs> the cat is very influential. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're right. And, and the chapter in the book, I, I literally, and I, I, I almost second guessed myself when I was writing uh, about this young lady, uh, because I literally took her Instagram feed and her online presence through each of these six. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately she didn't really do any of them. Um, you know, she was, she was likable, certainly. Uh, with her content. She was consistent with her content, but she wasn't consistent with building the the authority, et cetera, things like that. And she certainly didn't use any of this sort of sales tricks like scarcity and whatnot uh, to present this opportunity. So it's a really good, I think it really drills in and shows you this is how to build real influence, not just a bunch of followers online, which is what she had. Ah, that's a key difference, by the way, because mm-hmm. you said earlier, she's just posting, 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 but yeah, not, and, and I've been guilty of that too. And actually struggle with that sometimes like trying to figure out who's my brand, how do I want to show up in the world? Right. Um, but also it's both art and science, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe that's, that's the struggle of a creator. Like they don't, they just want to create, they don't want to think like, oh gosh, I better sell something. You know, like how most artists are starving. Sure. Hmm. Well, and, and that's, it's a great point because, you know, the, the people who are outstanding on, let's say Instagram or TikTok are creators, they're content creators, right? They create good art. They create good photography, good design. They produce good videos. Um, the difference between someone who stops there and is successful as an quote unquote influencer online creator is someone who also has the business sense to turn all of that into uh, real influence to be able to motivate people to buy a product, try a product, take action. Hmm. What's wrong with influencer marketing today? And what do you hope changes? Man, there's, I've got a list probably <laughs> that could take up another hour worth of, yeah. worth, worth of the show. Um, I think really right now, what's wrong with influencer marketing is we still have a lot of brands who look at influencers as an advertising channel. Um, they see when they see, okay, it's going to cost me $2,000 to have a post on this influencer's Instagram feed. They think of that in terms of, of the same terms they think of a, a, a pay-per-click ad or an online media buy or a billboard or a TV. They think, okay, let's see, 
uh, this person's got a hundred thousand followers. It's going to cost me 2000 to do that. That's a $20 CPM. So that's a pretty good rate for me. Mm-hmm. What that does is it completely disregards the influencer's time. It completely disregards the influencer's talent. It completely disregards their ability to create content that engages those 100,000 people or some percentage of those 100,000 people. And so the biggest problem right now is brands still don't see influencers as contractors, freelancers, people who are earning a living creating content that you need and that you want and that you value. They're still looking at them as just an advertising channel that they can throw money at. And when brands start to see influencers like freelancers, like if you go out and hire a graphic designer, you're not going to ask them to work for an exchange of product, right? You're going to say, I value your time. I value the designs you do. How much do you charge? Okay, let's agree upon a a payment structure for that. That's how you have to treat influencers because they are, in essence, freelancers that are, are capable of creating content just for you. You can engage them to do that too. They just happen to also have an audience with them that allows you to reach a certain number of people through their creative vision uh, that brings your brand or your message to life for their audience in a relevant way. And so that's the biggest problem with influencer marketing right now. Yeah. Secondarily to that, well, actually probably primary, the primary problem from other people's perspective, um, that's the one that I deal with because I'm dealing with the the nuts and bolts every day of doing influencer marketing. But there is still a huge pay gap uh, in influencer marketing between, um, you know, whites and non-white creators and and men and women. Um, in some verticals, um, women far out earn men. Um, but when you look at the per post price in most verticals, men still earn more. And so that's you know the byproduct of patriarchy and racism, institutional racism that applies, which we're all dealing with and we're all becoming more educated about. And so uh, that is something that is not endemic to influencer marketing. It's endemic to everything, Uh, but it's certainly manifesting itself there. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember listening to your podcast about that. You guys had all the data on the different platforms. (laughs) It's very interesting to see. Um, And I think if I remember correctly, was it on TikTok that the women are out earning yeah, it's actually uh, TikTok and Instagram, uh, both per post, women are out earning men. Yeah. Um, it's on the it's YouTube where the men, you know, kind of trump everything. But I will say the interesting thing is about 83% of all quote unquote influencers who make money are women. So in total, women are far exceeding the earning potential of men. Um, but when it's a one to one comparison, men typically make more money, which they probably shouldn't. Yeah, fair enough. Um, All right, just about to wrap up here. I'm just back to your book. Just to put a cap on that whole influence thing we just talked about, types of impact, four types of impact, persuasion, consideration, exploration, and information. Why I paused on this is because uh, I have bought things off of Instagram because of influencers. Yeah. Products, right? Oh, yeah. Because you follow somebody, and how many listening have already done the same thing? The question I wanted to ask you this, I guess, to we might close out on this, but, um, what about the issue of, you know, an influencer is repping a product with you. And I'm thinking some of the nutritional products I've bought, for example, <laughs> where you're like, you know, you say to yourself, come on, dude, right. Are you really using that? You're just, you're getting paid. You <laughs> know, How do you deal with that? 
you know, that's a, that's one that's, we're always going to have that because, uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you turn on, you know, the home shopping network or QVC right. or whatever, you know, you, you're going to get that. That's always going to be there. Um, I think, you know, from a brand perspective, if you're, you're reaching out to influencers, I think you just have to be really, you know, thorough in vetting who you're going to reach out to really consume and study their content, know how they treat sponsored content so that you can say, you know, this person just doesn't seem very genuine. And if they don't, then they're not a good influencer for you. Um, you want to, you know, work with people who, uh, a have a, a set of standards, like, look, I'm not going to rep your product unless I like it. So I have to try it first and I need to be educated and you need to give me lots of background and assets and whatnot. So I can figure out if I do like it first, if, if they give you that out of the gate, they're probably going to be pretty good to work with, especially if they like your product. And if they don't, they're a great source of feedback, but obviously you don't want to engage them for an influencer thing because they're not going to be honest uh, with, if they are honest with their, your, their audience, it's not good for you if they don't like your product. Yeah. So you, you just have to be really diligent about picking the right influencers if you're on that side of things. If you're a consumer and you're on the outside, you're going to trust the influencers who are more transparent, who are more yeah. genuine about the products that they do rep. And so everybody has their own filter and you're going to believe some people and not believe others. And so I think that's to each their own. There's going to be a number of people out there, whether it's the coupon clippers or the, the gullible or whatever, there's always going to be an audience for those people who are just chills, <laughs> but for you personally, you're going to trust who you trust based on how you react to their content. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm thinking of the one influencer in particular that I've uh, purchased from. And, and the, the funny thing about it is he so rarely even speaks it's always just those video clips of him, mm -hmm. like doing different things, workout related or whatever. And then it's just like, you know, there's the thing, the product the whatever. And, you know, I've definitely had some DMs with him and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm looking at back to the influence thing. It's just like, okay, all you do is like work out on video. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You've got some authority there, but there's not a lot of liking. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a little bit of consensus lacking because there's nobody else saying anything about him. Right. I mean, it's funny. It's a little bit of self-study here. But there's also that psychological, you know, thing in there of aspiration, right? Uh -huh. That person's working out and you like the fact that they are obviously fit. They look good. They feel good. You know, you can, you're getting inspired by this workout. Right. And so you aspire to be like them. And so when they stop and go, I use these vitamin pills, you're like, well, I can eat me the vitamin pills. Sweet. <laughs> You'll have six pack abs. If you take these vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, this is a fun conversation. Um, let's close it out this way. What is the future of influencer marketing? Cause I think some people still, you know, question it whatever what's mm -hmm. what's the future is it here to stay i, I think th i definitely think it is and the reason it is is because we just live in a signal to noise ratio world and and right now the signal is you know content creators who have you know the ability to capture the attention of people online create compelling content and engage them around it and that's not just uh, the territory of the big media companies anymore it's the territory of anyone who can plug into the internet create good content um, there's a lot of people, uh, most people are plugging in and creating content. The vast majority of them are horrible at it, uh, and boring. And we don't want to, you know, it's just noise, but the ones that stand out 
Those are your influencers. Those are your influential people, the people who are collecting an audience around something. Um, And so I really think they are here to stay. I think you're going to start to see more and more brands and agencies realize that a TikTok influencer, which is a perfect example, is a unique content creator. They create something different that ad agency creatives don't really create. Marketing people don't really create. I think you're going to see a lot more of those uh, online content creators get hired full-time at agencies and brands to just create content for them. I think you're going to start to see it become a, you know, sort of ubiquitous within brands and agencies. We've got this, you know, social media content creation team over here. And it's not just your traditional art directors and copywriters. It's actually, you know, digital natives, stars of TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and whatnot. Um, I really see that becoming, you know, more of a thing uh, in the future. But I also see brands getting more sophisticated about partnering with influencers in relevant ways. Instead of doing the sponsored post one off at a time, having an influencer that there's a good Venn diagram overlap with your audiences. And you say, you know what? I want to partner with you for the next five years. Mm. And I just want to make sure that at some point your audience immediately looks at my brand and goes, yes. So because I do that. We're in a world now where if my teenager comes to me, you know, we have the talk, we were mentioning, you know, going off to college, but the teenager says, nope, I want to be an influencer. Like, that's there's a, a pretty good chance your kid's going to make a lot more money than you are if they're good at it. So <laughs> encourage that. Yes. Like, it's, I mean, if they, if you can see that they have a passion for it and they have some degree of knack of talent of creating compelling content, maybe not for you, but no, their no. age group, right. you know, see what they're doing and see how people are reacting to it. Fan those flames, man. I think we should be teaching influencer marketing skills, content creator skills in elementary school for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you literally have, I talked, I interviewed for uh, a piece I'm writing uh, for entrepreneur. I interviewed a 17 year old girl two weeks ago. She started uh, making slime videos on uh, Instagram when she was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Her company is now worth a couple million dollars Wow! and she's in, she's in college now. Right. Her parents wanted her to be a doctor or a lawyer. And, uh, and she said, you know, after I showed them, you know, the first real quarter of earnings from selling slime through my uh, Instagram videos, they shut up about being a doctor. They're like, oh, okay, we'll just get out of your way now. <laughs> Do your thing, honey. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, this is a fantastic, uh, really fascinating topic as well, this whole influencer thing. Um, before we go, of course, we want to allow people to connect with you. Um, what I just realized just dawned on me because I'm looking at the books you've written besides the one we just mentioned, which we'll put links in the show notes. Once again, that is Winfluence. But the other two books, dude, this just like, hit me. You wrote the rebel's guide to email marketing and no bullshit social media. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, I've, I read those books, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, thank you. I did write those. Yeah. I wrote those with, uh, uh, DJ Waldo and, and Waldo, Eric Deckers, yeah. respectively, and and uh, had a good time. That was back in the days when, you know, we were all still trying to figure out social media. And, you know, mm-hmm. Eric and I were out there early on with, we should be talking about how to use this strategically instead of just joining yeah. the conversation. Yeah. And uh, the book did really well. And then DJ and I wrote the Rebels Guide to Email Marketing. He's the more of the email marketing guy. I just kind of brought the flavor to it, um, I guess. And, uh, yeah, both, both of those books were, were a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. All right. So for people who you also have a podcast real quickly, tell us uh, the name of the podcast. 
It's also Winfluence. It's Winfluence, the influencer marketing podcast, or the, I'm sorry, the influence marketing podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, twice a week, I do a commentary on Mondays and then I interview somebody from the, from the industry on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a fun show. Come, come join in and listen. So the best place to, obviously we'll put links, I said, like I said, uh, regarding the books, probably just to the Amazon, you know, links here or best place would be uh, for people to connect with you. Go to your website. Where do you want to send them? jasonfalls.com will give you a menu to find everything the book the podcast uh my other podcast uh, digging deeper which i do for cornet uh, which is more of a marketing strategy interview show um everything's there jasonfalls.com awesome hey man appreciate you making time today hey thanks for having me this has been great awesome awesome hey everybody listening you know what to do if you like this episode hey leave us a review appreciate you and we'll see you on the next one bye for now Hey guys, what's up real quick. Uh, you've heard about the mortgage marketing pro membership before. And I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business. Let's just face it. Agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents, butts and seats, partnering with affiliates real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from eight to 50 transactions in the last 12 months. And we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.